Good evening. It's a bit of a peculiar picture up there, if you can tell. But if you would turn to Titus chapter 2, that's our text here this evening, Titus chapter 2. But have you uh, ever seen a jackalope? Have you ever seen a jackalope? You know, it's part antelope and part jackrabbit. It's got the body of a jackrabbit and the antlers of an antelope. And if you've been out west, uh, you know, maybe uh, from Montana down to Kansas or even into Texas where it's pretty big, you might walk into a gas station and see one mounted on the wall or in a restaurant. But here's the thing. They're not real. It's just a mythical creature. Someone with an overactive imagination uh, thought of the idea of taking a jackrabbit and putting some horns on it and making this sort of new species. But, you know, when we look at it, it looks strange. It looks odd. It looks peculiar. You know, Scripture refers to Christians as peculiar people. What does that mean? Are we odd like, like the jackalope? Uh, Are we the oddities that we sometimes are protected by the world? You know, Christians, they're outdated, they're they're old-fashioned, they're they're too conservative. But uh, to what extent are we as Christians a peculiar people? Again, uh, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The translation that I read out of, the New American Standard, is listed first. Uh, But then I want to concentrate more on the King James, because the King James is going to use this this phraseology, this phrase of peculiar people. So let's look at what the KJV says here in Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It reads this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, maybe your translation, again, says something to the effect of a people for God's own possession or, or maybe uh, his own special people. Uh, Peter also uses this uh, phrase in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, speaking about Christians, says that you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a people for God's own possession or a peculiar people. And to highlight our unique or peculiar place in the world, we want to concentrate on this verse here in Titus chapter 2, specifically verse 14, and see what makes us different, what makes us peculiar. We see here in this verse is that we have been redeemed, that we have been cleansed of our sins, that we are actually someone else's possession, and we are to be zealous for good deeds. So let's talk about those points here this evening. First, we are peculiar in that we have been purchased. We notice in that verse, hopefully you have it in your Bibles in front of you, that we have been redeemed. And that's one of those beautiful synonyms used in Scripture for forgiveness. That we've been justified, that we've been sanctified, that we've been reconciled, we've been redeemed. That term means to free or to release. It's the idea of a slave being released from his slavery. And we, uh, at one point, were slaves of sin, but we have been liberated. Uh, it wasn't by perishable things, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It wasn't by things such as silver and gold that we were redeemed by, but it was because of his blood that he used to redeem our souls and offer us forgiveness. But to whom and by whom... Have was the, has this ransom been paid? It's 
See, God's nature is that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, that he is ever-present, that he's immutable, meaning he, he never changes. But God also has moral attributes, that he is holy, that he is justice, he is mercy, that he is love. And the process of being redeemed, redemption involves a transaction within God's moral attributes. You see, when, when you and I sin, we offend God's holiness and his justice, and that cries for death. We talked about that this morning in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But consequently, uh, God's mercy would not allow him to subjectively annihilate or destroy us without a chance. That's God's grace. And consequently, we, his love provided a substitute, someone to die in our stead, which, of course, was Jesus Christ. And so redemption, being redeemed, involves God's love and mercy, buying us away from the offended holiness and vindicating justice of his nature, of his moral attributes. But when does this transaction take place? You know, transactions, as we are familiar with it, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. You go to purchase something, you might make a cash payment, you might barter, you might trade. You know, you might use your debit card and the money is immediately taken out of your bank account. Or maybe use a credit card in which you have 30 days to pay that back before interest starts to to pile up. You might prepay for an item, uh, you know, purchase it, but wait for that item to come in. Or you might pay on account. Uh, You get the item and then you'll pay it later. But when we're talking about being redeemed, spiritually being redeemed, that's when one is baptized for the remission of his sins. And it's interesting that the Bible, when it talks about baptism and the remission of our sins and Jesus' blood, they're both involved in the same way. Uh, They both speak to our justification, our remission of sins, our sanctification, our purification, and our salvation. And so in short, the the blood of Jesus is the how. It's the how. And the baptism is the when this matter takes place, when we're redeemed. We are therefore redeemed when we are baptized for the remission of sins and thus purchased by the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to reference this verse a couple of times in this sermon. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul writes this. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Christians have been redeemed. This is what makes us peculiar, unique. That makes us peculiar in contrast to the children of wrath uh, who indulge in their own desires rather than taking God into account. And so one of the first points we want to make this evening is we are a peculiar people because we have been redeemed. But also notice we are peculiar because we have been cleansed. We have been cleansed from our past sins. In that, uh, that verse there in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, the word iniquity, or again, maybe your translation says lawless deed, uh, what it literally means is no law. There's no law. So the New Testament word for iniquity means no law or there's no compliance to the law. And I know there's a lot of individuals who suggest that the Bible uh, is not a law, but a, compil- a, compil- a compilation of love letters. Uh, love letters that, you know, that they, very, they have these very loose uh, interpretation to it. But when you read throughout the New Testament, you will find that the New Testament refers to itself as a law over and over and over again. Romans 3 verse 27 calls it the law of faith. The law of the spirit of life in Romans 8 2. The law of Christ in Galatians 6 2. 
and the perfect law of liberty in James chapter 1, verse 25. And it is by law that we live, and prior to our becoming Christians, we, we failed to comply with that law, and it's specified procedures, you know, it's instructions, it's commands, and we were guilty of iniquity. We were guilty of lawlessness. And so, um, such ought to remind us, as David, you know, plead in Psalm 51, that wash, he said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And in that word iniquity there in the Old Testament, uh, it's, it means to be crooked, uh, that you're not on this straight line that God has given you, but you've, you've perverted it. You, you've gone crooked. God has given us the straight line, uh, the Bible, and he's charged us not to turn away from it to the right hand or to the left. And when we fail to do what God has commanded or when we do what he has condemned, Prior to our becoming a Christian, we sinned and we perverted that which is right. And we, like David, were lawless. We, we were crooked. But thankfully, when we were baptized for the remission of our sins, we were redeemed from all iniquity, as he says here in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, or of every lawless deed. And literally, the ransom price of Jesus' blood freed us from the guilt of our past lawlessness. Everything we ever did contrary to this law he forgave, and that makes us unique once again. That makes us peculiar. We are a peculiar people in contrast to the children of disobedience who await his wrath. Well, thirdly, we notice that we are a peculiar people because we are someone else's possessions. The word Paul uses here for peculiar, again in the King James Version, was used for the spoils of a battle that the king set aside for himself. It was his chosen treasures. It was a very special status. Uh, throughout the Old Testament and the King James, you might run into the phrase, uh, a peculiar treasure. Uh, God refers to the Israelites, uh, the nation of Israel, as his peculiar treasure. It's his chosen treasure, his chosen people. Out of all the nations of the world, God promised Israel that they would be his people if they obeyed him. And in the same way, in the New Testament, Christians belong to Jesus as his peculiar people today. You know, before the cross, Israel was God's special people. But now, after the cross, Christians are God's special people. And when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we repent of our sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and we're baptized, and, and God adds us to his church... You know, we become members of his church. And throughout scripture, there's different descriptions of this, that we can become members of his flock or his kingdom, his bride, his body. But, but the, the idea is, is that we have now been set apart. We have been sanctified. Uh, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Christians are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Or again, a peculiar people. And frequently, we need to be reminded, again, of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And that, of course, was Jesus' blood. You know, sometimes I think we act as if God is simply renting us out, that he doesn't actually own us. You know, we'll say to him that you can have me for Sunday morning, but that's it. That's the extent that I'll be in your service this week. But no, we, we emphasize this verse here in 1 Corinthians 6. He has purchased us, right? Christianity is a week-long duty, and that makes us unique. That makes us peculiar 
in contrast to those who have not obtained mercy and are not people of God. And so we've noticed three of these things that make us a peculiar people. But lastly, let's notice in this verse that Christians are to be zealous for good deeds. That makes us peculiar. See, zealous refers to one who is burned up or he's boiled over with a passion. He's jealous for the object of his interests. It describes someone being stirred up or enthused about something. You know, uh, one of Jesus's uh, 12 apostles was a man by the name of Simon the Zealot. Simon was very zealous. He he was a political activist against Rome, and and that's how he got that name, uh, because he was jealous. He was zealous uh, for 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 the Jewish nation. But what are Christians to be zealous of? Again, we're told good works. Good works, or in uh, the book of Titus, often referred to as deeds, good deeds. And Titus actually talks about good deeds throughout its three chapters. If you want to read about doing good deeds, read the book of Titus, because over and over again, he brings this up. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says, You know, some profess to know God, but it's evident by their deeds that they do not, that they are worthless of any good deeds. And in chapter 2, verse 7, he says that we need to show ourselves as, an, as examples of good deeds. Chapter 2, verse 14, which we're touching on here this evening, that we need to be zealous for good deeds. Chapter 3, verse 1, that we need to be ready for every good deed. Chapter 3, verse 8, we need to engage in good deeds. And chapter 3, verse 14, he says, learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. Right? As Christians, we are peculiar because we... Um, are in it for the good doing good deeds. And we, after all, Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good deeds. But what are some of these good deeds that, that Titus is speaking of? You know, we shouldn't be overwhelmed when we're talking about good deeds. It's not necessarily always, you know, doing something um, physical or uh, something time uh, consuming, but it can be a whole wide range of things. If we follow the word good throughout the New Testament, we will find it used in a connection in a lot of different deeds. In Acts chapter 9, verses 36 and 39, uh, we recall the account of Tabitha. If you remember, Tabitha, or, or her Greek name was Dorcas, and this was a woman that, that the Bible says that she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And so because of that, because of this woman's great deeds that she did, these good deeds, when she passed away and the people found out that Peter was in the area, they went and got Peter and they brought him to her immediately. They said, don't wait, come now. And they implored him to come to him because they knew that Peter was, he was doing some miracles. He was doing miraculous work and, and maybe he could raise her from the dead. And at, at her deathbed, there were all these widows gathered around, all these women that, uh, that she, Tabitha, had, had touched in her life because Tabitha had made clothing for a living, beautiful garments. And that was part of her good deeds, her good works that she did. And Peter, remember, raised her from the dead. Uh, she had such an inspiration, a, such uh, emphatic uh, um, a control over the people there uh, that, that they extremely loved her. And they remembered her for her good works, for her good deeds. Barnabas uh, is... 
and his encouragement is noted in Scripture as, as he was a good man uh, because of the encouragement he, that he gave. Prayer, especially for those in leadership, Timothy, or excuse me, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, is a good thing. It's a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. He says that he wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And in that context, Paul is talking to Timothy about prayer as being a good deed. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 9 of 1 Timothy, Paul uh, again references good works by, by uh, proper and modest dress. Uh, listen to what he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Paul's saying there that uh, the, the, the women there, uh, in order to uh, be, be godly, they need to spend more time preparing for good works uh, rather than preparing uh, for the outside self, the, the physical self. Prepare yourself for the, the good works, and that, those are those good deeds. And you know, we can, again, we can look at all of these passages throughout Scripture uh, there, or, and we can also follow along with the word zeal or, or fervor throughout the New Testament. Again, speaking to good deeds, good works within Scripture, telling others about Jesus. Th- that is described as a good work. Encouraging gospel preachers in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, is described as a, a, a zealous work. Giving sacrificially to the Lord's cause in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, zealous for good works. In our fervent love for one another, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, that we are to fervently love one another. Again, these are good works. These are things that we can all do. Uh, no matter uh, how young we are or how old we are, we can pray, we can love one another, we can encourage one another. These are the good works that set us apart from the world. We are to be zealous for good deeds. And whatever the good work it may be that we're zealous for, ultimately, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, glorifying your Father who is in heaven. And you, you catch that in that verse? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works so that those around us can see the good works as Christians, as peculiar people, uh, that we can attract others towards the light of Christ. And that makes us unique. Again, that makes us peculiar in contrast to those who do things in secret. And it's a shame to even speak of, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 5 verse 12. But in becoming Christians, again, believing in Jesus, repenting of our past sins and being baptized to wash away our past sins, we have been, according to Titus chapter 2, verse 14, we have been ransomed away by the wrath of God. Again, we've been redeemed. We've been cleansed of our past sins. We've been added to the church that belongs to Jesus. We are now a peculiar people, and we have dedicated ourselves to that which is good. Again, that's what makes us different. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us a peculiar people. We're not the oddity uh, like the, the jackalope that we started to talk about at the beginning, but rather we are a special treasure. God's chosen people are a special treasure to him. And I'm grateful about that, and I hope you are as well. I want to close with what Paul said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. 
Paul here writes, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We are a peculiar people. We are a peculiar people uh, for God. And this, this evening, uh, maybe you're with us this evening and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you have not had the opportunity to put on our, our Lord and baptism. And you don't know what it means to, to be uh, peculiar, to be someone of God's own possession. Uh, again, we, we offer this every invitation, but we'd love the opportunity to study with you and to show you what Scripture has to say about that. The process of hearing the word of God and believing uh, repenting of sin, confessing Jesus as Lord, and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Or if you're here this evening and you need the prayers of this church, you need to ask for forgiveness. If you have any need to make known, we'd ask that you would make that as this, at this time as we together stand and sing the song of invitation.